we need to try and flip the conversation from the very beginning of when you know that your child has Down syndrome, especially in the womb. I, we need medical providers, family members, extended family, friends, whatever, all need to work together to make sure that the family still feels loved, it still feels like their baby is loved, feel like their baby is a human being just like anyone else, because that's true. Not feel like Down syndrome is a death sentence because Down syndrome alone isn't a death sentence at all. People with Down syndrome live long, full lives. So when delivering the news, I mean, as a doctor, keep in mind that the way you deliver this news is going to affect this family probably for the rest of their lives. I know, no pressure, right? But just try to be super compassionate about it and don't speak to things you don't know anything about, like quality of life or whatnot. Only speak to what you know definitively, which feel free to admit that you don't know anything. And I don't know what this child's life is going to be like. I don't know what any child's life is going to be like. And that's okay. But your baby has Down syndrome. There's a lot of resources for Down syndrome now. And people with Down syndrome live long, full, happy lives. So I don't see why you can't include that in any sort of... If you if you must include the immediate option for termination, which obviously I do, I do not like that, I don't see why you cannot also include, you know, that they live happy, full, wonderful lives. This is Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast, and I'm your host, Bet Lucas. I have five crazy kids, a full-time career in a mostly male industry, and I've been on a health journey where I've lost over 40 pounds. On this podcast, you will find encouragement for your own unique journey. You'll be provided tools to help you not just survive this life, but thrive in the areas of health, career, and family. So come live your big, bold life with me. Are you ready? I sure am. Hello. Welcome to Living Your Big, Bold Life podcast. I am your host, Bette Lucas. Today's guest truly exemplifies living boldly in many areas of her life. Sylvia is a former attorney, and early on in her parenting journey, suffered some heartbreaking miscarriages. However, she provides hope for many of you that might be dealing with the same, as she is now a mom of six beautiful children. One of Sylvia's daughters is named Regina. Regina has Down syndrome, and this month is Down Syndrome Awareness Month. Down syndrome truly has a special place in my heart, and I truly believe we all need to be challenged to think more boldly when it comes to this important topic. Down syndrome is not some depressing diagnosis. It is actually a beautiful and bright future. Those of you who have been blessed with a friend or a family member with Down syndrome know this to be true. And I guess my hope is that maybe this touches one of you that haven't been blessed with that relationship. Today, Sylvia will challenge us all to think boldly. She will remind us that often the world, experts, and those around us place fears in our heart that really aren't true. And as Sylvia so wisely points out, that sometimes those fears are greatest within our own hearts and minds. And she humbly admits that she can relate to those fears. But she is here to encourage us all that the reality is so much more beautiful than our fears ever told us 
it could be. In the words of Sylvia, she says, With our daughter Regina, I have experienced more joy and love than I ever thought possible. Is it hard? Of course. So is anything worth doing. The most beautiful fruits are hard won. As an actual parent of a child with Down syndrome, I just want to dispel some ignorance on this topic. Pity me if you would like. It makes no difference to me, but do not let your pity lead to believe that my daughter's life is worthless or meaningless. That is a lie. I used to be that person. I used to pity parents of kids with Down syndrome. I used to be paralyzed with fear that I would have a child with Down syndrome myself. However, as wise St. Francis of DeSales says, the fear of a cross is much heavier burden than the cross itself. I know that to be true with my whole heart. I will take one of Regina's butterfly hugs and radiant smiles and laughter over the sleepless nights while pregnant with her any day of the week. So, I know after listening to today's episode and hearing Sylvia's journey, you will be encouraged and inspired and reminded that similar to a lot of areas in our life, we might need to challenge what we've always been told. We may need to live boldly to truly live our most beautiful life. Let's get to Sylvia. So today, everybody, on Living Your Big Bold Life, I have Sylvia here, and this is really so hilarious because, you know, Sylvia and I both have these, you know, big, I think, big families, kind of crazy, chaotic lives in a lot of ways, but we find peace within that, and like an hour before this interview, I find out that our au pair, who's picking up two of my children from school so I could do this interview, has a flat tire. So I'm racing off. And then <laughs> the first time that Sylvia and I tried to record this, it was like a comedy of errors. Like like we kept getting disconnected. It's so... Sylvia <laughs> is back. <laughs> we, we finally, <laughs> we're back, baby. <laughs> can't keep me down. The devil can't keep me down. Oh gosh! Well, Sylvia, welcome. We're so glad to have you here. It's great to be back. I thank you for your patience and understanding for all my technology woes. So I really believe in my heart that all our technical difficulties and re-recording of this episode was meant to be. Because when Sylvia and I recorded part of this episode and had those issues, our focus wasn't Down Syndrome Awareness Month. But when we went to reschedule, it was like, oh my gosh, look, we can highlight this amazing, amazing issue and bring some light to it, some encouragement, some wisdom from someone who is living it and experiencing the joy of it today. And that is Sylvia and her family. So Sylvia, why don't we start with you telling the listeners a little bit more about you and your background? My name is Sylvia Bass, and I'm a former attorney, but <laughs> once the baby started coming fast and furious, I am an inactive bar member. <laughs> so I have six children. I had five girls first, and then one baby boy, and I married another attorney, although we met in college. <laughs> we didn't meet in law school, weirdly enough, but um, we met in college. I told him I wanted to be an attorney, and he was like, that sounds kind of cool. Maybe I'd like to be an attorney as well. We both went to law school. He started practicing law, and he was like, I love this. And I started practicing law, and I was like, I hate this, and I'm pregnant and super sick. 
So yeah, and we got married in law school and my heritage is Cuban. My grandparents immigrated here from Cuba. They're Cuban exiles. And my mom, actually, when she went to kindergarten, she didn't even speak any English. But my grandmother didn't tell anybody that. She just kind of dropped her off at the kindergarten and was like, bye. Adios. Bye. Bye. <laughs> but she said no one ever figured out her secret because it was kindergarten. So she learned English immediately. So Sylvia, so much of this podcast has been such a beautiful journey for me too, because you know, my husband and I, I, I met him when I was in my late 20s, but he was actually approaching his late 30s. And so for mm-hmm. me, it's so wonderful to share kind of someone who's had a very different experience where they met their spouse younger and kind of how they journeyed through parenthood, through their career, how they discerned what was best for them. And so, so you got pregnant while you were in law school? Yeah, I met my husband when we were both 18. So we essentially grew up together. And the first time I got pregnant was two months after we got married. So I was in law school, but I lost that baby to miscarriage. And then the second time I got pregnant was a year after that. And it was twins. And I lost those babies also to miscarriage. And then I got pregnant with my eldest. Can't remember if I was already practicing. (laughs) Those years are such a haze. So blurry. I was already practicing by that time, practicing law, but yeah, and I was so, so sick and I was so, so scared because we had, you know, lost so many babies and yeah, we actually got into a really bad car accident while I was pregnant with her. I had to spend the night in the hospital and at the hospital, they're like, we don't know. She might make it. She might not, which I found extremely comforting. And, but yeah, so she was dramatic. And then she, from the very beginning, she was dramatic, dramatic pregnancy, dramatic entrance into the world. She was Brie and and she had very low fluids, so they weren't confident that they could turn her. So she ended up being my first C-section that led to all the other C-sections. So I've, I've had six C-sections in all. <laughs> That's very unusual, correct? I mean, you don't hear of that very often. No, no. I mean, it's unusual. It's I'm kind of like a tiny group within a tiny group. So it's unusual for Catholic moms to have like a ton of kids. And then it's even more unusual for all those kids to be C-sections. To be C-sections, right. And tell us the ages right now of your oldest uh, to your your youngest. Uh, So my eldest is eight, uh, eight. Yes, she's about to turn nine in September, but she's eight and then seven, six, five, and then Regina's three and then... Rex is two. When you were, you know, having babies, were you getting a lot of pushback from physicians on your the fact that you had had a C-section or did you get a lot of support or how did that journey go? Well, with my OB, I had been with her for a long time since before I got married. She was the mom of good friends of mine from high school. And so she was just, she was always very supportive. And after my first C-section, she was like, oh, well, you could always have a V-back. This isn't a big deal. But then I got pregnant 
pregnant with Rose, my second child, uh, four months after my first was born. So she was like, probably not trying labor after, you know, so quickly after C-section is not a great idea. So she ended up being a C-section too. So after that C-section, she was like, I don't feel comfortable trialing labor, but I've had some client, some patients have up to five C-sections and I'll just, you know, take good care of your scarring, removing all your scarring and your uterus and just making sure everything's in good shape every surgery to make sure that you can have the best results possible for potentially many children. So she retired after my fifth child, Regina, was born, which was very, very sad for me. And uh, Rex, my sixth child, like I thought we were done. And then Rex, my sixth child, was a surprise. <laughs> oh, hello, yeah. Rex. He's here. <laughs> And uh, I was just, I didn't know what to do. I thought I was going to have to go to a crisis pregnancy center. But I, I ended up reaching out to one of my friends who knows a lot of doctors. And I was like, do you know of anybody who would accept me as a patient? It's a six C-section, but all my C-sections have been uncomplicated, you know, no issues. And she was like, yeah, I think I can find you someone. So she found me an OB who was an excellent surgeon. And he took me on as a patient. And he was, he was great. He took really good care of me in Rex. I often get a lot of questions because we just, we didn't do the genetic testing and I'm totally fine if someone wants to, not forcing that. That's just not what we wanted to do. And I never felt that that was for me. And it's amazing how much pressure by some physicians I got. Yeah. You know, it was kind of like, why? Well, you really should. And well, you're advancing in age and I mean, all the things. And I just, for me, I knew I didn't want to do it. So it was really important for me to find a physician that maybe still they could mention it, but they didn't make me feel like I was making a decision or guilty for the decision I was making. Right. You want to be informed, but you don't want to be feel bullied into something that you don't want to do and, or, you know, be, or them be dismissive of something that's obviously important to you. So, I mean, it's hard to find an OB, especially that fits all those criteria. So Sylvia, one of the pieces of your journey that I think can provide a lot of hope to fellow moms out there is that you did start your journey with two miscarriages. And sometimes I talk to moms who are just feeling, you know, kind of hopeless and and really struggling because they want to have a family and yet they their first few pregnancies have been miscarriages. Do you have some advice for those moms and especially now being a mom of a large family and almost as you share now kind of the opposite where you've had a lot of really successful pregnancies and so I'd love your advice and wisdom for those moms. So I I wish I had, you know, some sort of cure-all for that because, you know, it's so hard and it's just such a struggle. I ended up with a really compassionate OB who allowed me to come in every other week once I got pregnant with my eldest. And he would do an ultrasound for free during that first trimester every other week, just so I could see my baby, be reassured by her heartbeat and her moving around in there that she was still there, she was still with us. And I think that really helped to give me peace of mind. I was underweight. So I mean, I gained some weight. I don't know if that helped or not. Who knows? You know, childbearing is so mysterious, and you never know what might help or what might not. And yeah, I don't know. I just decided that pregnancy that I would offer up all of my horrible, horrible morning sickness with her and be grateful for it 
because she was still alive. And every day, I've just counted every day of that pregnancy as a gift because she was still with us. I can imagine every day just being Mm -hmm. like, thank you, thank you. And so you have this beautiful, big family, and they are all beautiful. But I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about your beautiful Regina. Sure. Yeah. So Regina's my fifth daughter. She has Down syndrome. She was diagnosed while I was still pregnant with her. I never do the the NIPT tests, the non-invasive, non-invasive prenatal tests for genetic anomalies, because it doesn't really matter to us. And we figured we'd figure out whatever is going on in the 20-week scan. And so we did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so she had some soft markers for Down syndrome during that 20-week scan, just, you know, some physical characteristics that might lead them to believe that she had Down syndrome. But really the clincher for it was that she had a heart defect. And about 50% of children with Down syndrome are born with a heart defect. So that was a pretty strong indicator. They encouraged me to go ahead and do the NIPT test just to give us more information. So we did, and it came back high. I hate that they say high risk, you know, that's such terrible language, but you know, high, they should say high chance Mm -hmm. Down syndrome T21, trisomy 21. So yeah, she was born right after Christmas 2016. And she spent about a month in the NICU feeding issues and oxygen issues. She had open heart surgery when she was four months old and to repair her heart. And she was, she had been on a feeding tube all that time because she was in heart failure and she couldn't eat by mouth because she was breathing too fast and had labored breathing. I got her weaned off that feeding tube after her heart open heart surgery repair, and she's just now a thriving three-year-old. She's just beautiful. And so when you had had Regina, correct me if I'm wrong, you had four very young children at mm-hmm. home yeah. as well. Yeah. How did you manage during that time? How Tell us a little bit more about not only kind of walking this journey with Regina and her heart issue and some of the additional support that she was going to need, but also managing all the littles at home as well. Yeah. So I guess when she was born, my eldest was five, I think. And so, yeah, I had like five, four, three, two. It might have been little, I think Rhea, my youngest at the time, wasn't quite two. She was maybe 18 months or so. 20 months. So yeah, my mom lives in town, which has been an enormous blessing to me. And she was helping me a lot. But as we got closer to my due date, I was having to go in for non-stress tests every week and biophysical profiles every week. And it was getting to be a lot. And my mom has always been one to know her limits and communicate her limits clearly. And she was like, I cannot do this anymore. We need to find some help. <laughs> and, I, and I love that she put it like we, like because we're all in this together. She's like, we need to find help. So, so I just, I, and I just prayed to my guardian angel, angel. I was like, I need, I need to find someone to help me. And I reached out to a friend of mine who said, oh, actually our nanny who has a little boy with special needs. And she was like, actually our, our nanny is leaving us right now because our old nanny is coming back. If you want to see if she's interested, I was like, I would. So she, like, praise the Lord. Yeah, And of course, you know, with God, everything, he gives you things. 
it's never like a, a good cushion to a period of time that you like can just relax and be like, wow, I got this well in advance of what I needed it. She arrived, <laughs> the nanny arrived the, the day that I had to go to the hospital, the nanny arrived. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, bye, see you later. <laughs> that, was her first, that was literally her first day of work. <laughs> And that was quite a day because my my second child ended up having nursemaid's elbow and had to go to the emergency oh. room the day that I was delivering Regina. And my mom and dad, you know, they didn't want to stress us out anymore because I had just had my fifth surgery. Regina was in the NICU. I was a freaking mess. And they like snuck into my hospital room. They're like, hey, Sylvia, could we have your insurance information? No reason, just in case something happens. And I was like, whatever. Oh, I just like- grabbed my purse. And so they like, <laughs> and then they like went back out, had to take Rose to the emergency room for her elbow. Little did you yeah, know. Little I, did you know. I was like, Wow, mom, you had a very eventful day that day. Oh, what what amazing parents yeah. to, to just know that that was a moment that we are not, which she does not need to know no. this. That is just fine. It is <laughs> just fine. Take care of it ourselves. If she comes back and her baby's in a cast, it's fine. <laughs> so I love that. I mean, you just realize like you needed some help. And sometimes, you know, we are blessed to have family nearby that we can ask for help. But I, like you, having a big family, I can't always just rely like on my parents or my brother or, you know, so I obviously have help in our lives and really couldn't have survived without it. Yeah, no, um, no. So I'm so, I'm so glad that, you know, your mom was willing to speak up and say, hey, you know, I love to still help. I just can't. I can't do it all. We need to figure this out. We need help. You and I need help, Sylvia. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me when you found out at the 20 week scan and then you did the the testing and you found out Regina had down syndrome how was the response of the people around you obviously not your family but meaning more your doctor's office and and how did that go yeah i mean i think even our response to it was in in light of what i know now it was wrong i mean the we went to a we were going to an mfm for the 20 week scan anyway so it was a separate office office from my usual OB. And it was a, it was an MFM I had never seen before because we have actually have a history of heart defects. My, my eldest child was born with VSDs, but they closed. Um, those are holes in the heart. And then my third child was born with a stenosis, which is a narrowing of one of the arteries, but that also just resolved itself. So, but just in case my OB who was wonderful was like, let me send you to the perinatologist for 20 week, your, all your 20 week scans, just so they can do an in-depth look at the heart and make sure, you know, everything's looking good. Or if they need to do something, we'll know in advance. So this lady I hadn't seen before, the perinatologist and her reaction was real, real bad. We, she had, she had us taken from one room in the ultrasound room to another ultrasound room for no apparent reason. And then we had to wait there for what felt like an eternity. We just sat there. And I I remember telling my husband, something's wrong. Something's very, very wrong. And he was like, I mean, the ultrasound looked fine, right? I was like, yeah, I mean, it looked fine to me. I mean, she spent a lot of time on the heart. Maybe there's something wrong with the heart. She spent a lot of time on the heart. He was like, Sylvia, you are such a worrywart. Just like calm down. I was like, well, why are we sitting here not seeing the doctor for so long? 
So she finally came in. So awkward. It was really awkward and it only served to like heighten my dread. And so she came in and she was like, immediately started being accusatory. And she was like, how old are you? And I I said, I'm 31. (gasps) And she said, oh, okay. Well, she said, well, why didn't you have the early genetic test done? And I was just like, I'm sorry, what's going on? Like, I don't understand what's happening here. Why are you coming at me with all these accusational questions? And I said, you know, well, we just we just decided not to. And she's like, well, it looks like this baby has soft marker markers for Down syndrome and she has a heart defect. And I was just flabbergasted because I was just worried about the heart defect. I, I honestly didn't care all that much about the Down syndrome because we actually had a, some close family friends with a child with Down syndrome and we hung out with them a lot and it was it was not a big deal. Um, she, ended, she ended up not having any health issues or anything so it really was not a big deal. So I was just, there was just a complete disconnect in where we both were as to the diagnosis. And I remember her being like, okay, so let's look at some termination options we can refer you to. And I was like, we're not, I mean, my, my husband was like, we're not, we're not aborting this child. And she's just like stopped cold. And she was like, wow, you are so courageous. We're like, no, we're not. We're just her parents. <laughs> this is not courageous to have oh, our own Oh, I feel so bad. It was so bad. And and there's so many stories like that, that it's it's really tragic. And they would refuse to give me my ultrasound pictures. To this day, I do not have ultrasound. Sorry, it makes me emotional. I do not have ultrasound pictures. I have ultrasound pictures for all of my children from their 20-week skin, except for Regina, because for whatever reason, no matter how many times I asked them, they just would, you know, put me off and say, oh, yeah, sure, sure, they're coming, whatever. Like, you know, they knew that I wouldn't want them eventually. Ah, oh, so that breaks my heart. Yeah, I mean that you're you're dealing with this news, right? The, the, and good or bad or beautiful, whatever, however it is, but that as a physician, that could have just been handled so much more tenderly, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. You know, moms already are. So, we're so critical of ourselves, and I feel like that's such a a journey with all moms. We we tend to be overly critical and that she started from a stance of, well, how old are you? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I do find that interesting. And I'd love your insight here because I am not a Down syndrome expert, but I do feel like a lot of moms, especially so I'm 39 and I do find a lot of moms say, well, are, do you fear Down syndrome or do you fear other medical issues because of your age? And it's interesting though, a lot of my, the people that I know, and I have no data or statistics on this, but the babies that they've had with medical issues, or if they've been a Down syndrome baby, it wasn't a later in life pregnancy. So do you find that similar or or do you know, have any statistics on that? I mean, the statistics are hard to interpret because you do have a higher chance of having a child with Down syndrome if you're an older mom. But the thing is, younger moms have so many more babies than older moms tend to do that more like in all my Down syndrome groups, we're mostly I'd say, I don't know, 75% maybe young moms, just because we usually have more babies than an older moms would potentially. So, so yeah. And, and I've had the benefit, like I had my baby at 31, but I do know some older moms that had a baby with Down syndrome and they're racked with guilt. And I'm just like, it's, that's silly. That's so silly because, you know, it's just having a child with Down syndrome is such a gift. It's, it's, it's not a, that's one of the things that I thought was so 
wrong with the ladies, the MFM's delivery was that the Down syndrome part really, it really isn't a big deal. You know, she's another child. She has feelings just like my other children. She has, she gets in fights with all my other children. You know, she's stubborn. She's got her own personality. She's the sweetest, most wonderful, most loving little girl in the whole wide world. She's beautiful. Like, you know, does she work harder for things than my other children? Sure. Like she has low muscle tone. So it's harder for her to reach mild milestones. She has to like overcompensate for her low muscle tone, which means all her muscles are just like super relaxed, more relaxed than ours are. She has to compensate for that with higher muscle strength, but she can get there. But, you know, all of us have something that we have to work harder at. All of us have weaknesses. I just find the whole overall attitude just silly, I, you know, just knowing her now. Like at the time I was like, oh no, you know, <laughs> I totally bought into uh-huh. the whole like, oh gosh, this, our lives are over as we know it. Everything's just going to be Down syndrome, Down syndrome all the time. But I mean, I barely think about it <laughs> and the children barely think about it and my husband barely thinks about it. It's just not a pressing thing any more than like, one of my child has darker hair than the other ones, you know? <laughs> Hey friends, it's Beth. If you are enjoying today's podcast, I really hope you will join me every week for what I hope you find are inspiring interviews and bold content on topics like family and career and health. And can I also ask you a favor? Can you press that subscribe button and write a review if you like what you hear today? By doing those things, you are helping me get the word out, and I truly would be ever, ever so grateful. It also allows you to be the first to know when new content arrives. So please, subscribe today. Now, let's get back to our guest. And I think that's why your wisdom around this and your sharing your experience is so powerful, because I think that that has what a lot of us have been informed to believe or or we've oh yeah it's it would be a, a hindrance to our lives and really it's the exact opposite and i think that's why it's so important for people to hear your journey so what else do you hope people know about regina and down syndrome and think ways we can inform ourselves better Yeah, I'm glad that we have Down Syndrome Awareness Month. I look forward to it every year, celebrating our daughter. And because before Regina was born, we didn't know very much about Down Syndrome, close to nothing at all. I do remember one of my dad's good friends, who was actually younger, more towards our age. They had a little girl with Down Syndrome, I think right about the time when I first got married, definitely before we had any children. And I remember they had to like send out this email to, because theirs was a birth diagnosis. So they didn't know that she had Down syndrome until she was born. And I remember they had to send out this email to friends and family saying like, yes, our daughter has Down syndrome. If you're worried and you don't know what to say, congratulations is perfectly appropriate. And I remember thinking, gosh, like how annoying that they even have to send out that email. And then when I got pregnant with Regina and we actually ended up with a prenatal tentative diagnosis because I opted out of the amniocentesis, but she had some um, soft markers on the ultrasound and her um, NIPT test came back high chance of Down syndrome. I got some really, I also got some really weird reactions, including a card that I think was intended for when someone dies. It was definitely intended for when someone dies. It was like, I'm so sorry for your loss. And then there's like a $20 bill Uh. in there. 
And I was like, what is this? And you're just like, what are you, what, oh, what? <laughs> what was going through your mind? So I think that people just, I think there does need to be some Down syndrome awareness and, you know, how to properly respond to Down syndrome from its very earliest manifestation in the womb. And I think that it, that's, my, my dad's friend was right. Um, the proper response when you find out that someone has had a baby or is pregnant with a baby with Down syndrome is congratulations. That's it. It's because it's still a baby. It's still a new life, a miracle of life created by God that deserves just as much congratulations as the next baby. And I just, I hate that they can be robbed of that and and parents can be robbed of that sometimes because of all these misconceptions surrounding Down syndrome and that it's some sort of tragedy and it's terrible news, you know, when it's really not. A lot of us are trying to change how OBs address Down syndrome, and I think that will help a lot because they have a lot of influence over how the mom will react to this because they assume that since they're a doctor, oh, you must know all the things. But the truth of the matter is, you know, when I asked my OBs who were being all doom and gloom about Regina having Down syndrome, I'd say, you know, do you actually know anyone personally with Down syndrome? Have you ever treated anyone with Down syndrome? And they're like, well... No. <laughs> like, okay, well then, I mean, why are you presuming to be an expert and presuming to advise me to make a, an irreversible decision about this? You know, this is, the stakes are high and this, someone's life is on the line. So I just think that, of course, we should be informed, you know, especially about stuff like heart defects, which is super serious. But the, you know, the medicine when it comes to heart defects is so amazing now and, and they can do such amazing things that I really feel like even though I wouldn't wish heart failure on my worst enemy, it is horrendous. It's just such a miracle that they can repair her little her little tiny heart and make it so that she's just as healthy as any other kid. Even that's not a death sentence. I think that's so true because now that you highlight that, I think of my moms that I know that had a, an OB that were were really positive when they presented the the diagnosis or that mom left with such a different outlook. Whereas you're exactly right. The ones where the OBs kind of presented it like either it was your fault or it was, this is a horrible thing. Those moms had to do a lot to overcome those feelings. And why would you stress out a pregnant mom unnecessarily? Like don't stress out the pregnant mom any more than she's already stressed out. She's already got all worst case scenarios in her head, you know, like she needs a peaceful and calming and soothing presence. <laughs> exactly. That of all time. Because I still have, seriously, I struggled with PTSD and like with, the, mm -hmm. especially from that 20-week scan. And so when I had to go in for Rex's 20-week scan, I was a complete wreck. And it right. ended up being fine. Well, I had switched to a much better MFM who was very caring and compassionate and loved Regina and was like, bring me Regina, you know, when you can, I want to come see, I want her, I want to see her since I've been treating her all this time. And he was just wonderful. So there are good ones out there for sure. So tell me, let's go back. What are some of the fears you had then that now you're just like, oh my gosh, if I could just talk to myself then, if I could just reassure you, what is some advice that you would have given yourself or that you would give moms in your similar situation? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm of, there's half and half people with Down syndrome, half of them have heart defects, half of them do not. And even within the heart defects camp, 
some are more severe than others. And Regina was definitely on the more severe end. So I was super, super concerned about that. And that makes sense that I was concerned about that. But I was also concerned about all the other things that didn't matter, like would she ever breastfeed? I mean, that doesn't matter. And I tried to, I mean, it matters, but you know, on the grand scheme of things, she's healthy, she's happy, it's okay that she didn't ever breastfeed. But I think that um, trying to prepare yourself as much as possible for a child with Down syndrome is an exercise in futility because they're each so unique, you know, they're they're different individuals. And even the heart defects manifest themselves in such different ways that, and I do believe that God gives you the grace um, to deal with things at that moment and almost never before. So, you know, if, if you, you can do what you can with the knowledge, but that you have to prepare yourself, but don't don't think to yourself that, okay, well, if I'm just prepared enough, then, you know, I, don't get into a panic about preparing. Am I prepared enough? Am I prepared enough? Am I prepared enough? Because, you know, like any other baby, there's no way you can possibly predict how things are going to go. And you're just going to be there for the ride. And that's okay, because you just have to trust in God's providence. <laughs> So Regina now is three years old, did you say? Mm -hmm. She's She turned three in December. How is her journey with her heart defect today? How is she doing? She's doing really well. We just had her, she has an annual cardiologist checkup where they do like an echocardiogram and an EKG. And her echo showed that her repair is still holding up really well. Uh, she's got, you know, normal heart function. And her EKG was wonky at first, but then they redid it for a 24-hour one. And let me tell you, putting keeping an EKG machine on your toddler for 24 hours is super fun. But um, <laughs> super fun. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't not know how you do did that because my daughter will be three in September and seriously I can't hold her still for a minute. So I, I no. I'm like yeah. giving you a lot of praise right now. <laughs> well they they called me back with the results and they're like, So uh we only got ten hours worth of data and I was like, Wow, I thought it'd be much less than that, to be honest. <laughs> I'm shocked that it's ten. <laughs> They're like, but the 10 hours looked normal, so you're good to go. And I was like, phew. So yeah, she's looking great. So besides what you've already shared, is there any advice that you want to give to a mom that has recently received a Down syndrome diagnosis? Yes. First and foremost, do not Google. No Googling allowed. If you look at Google, like all of their data and information about Down syndrome is really outdated and antiquated and just like... As someone who has a child with Down syndrome, I just look at it and I laugh. I'm like, what is wrong with Google? So yeah, don't Google. It's stupid false information. Find a community. Uh, the Down Syndrome Diagnosis Network is amazing. I would go there first. There are a bunch of real moms who actually have children with Down syndrome. They're so wonderful. They're so supportive. They've got all these resources They've got a ton of groups on Facebook that you can join that can be like in a bunch of subgroups that are more specific to your needs. And just all those moms are just so amazing and so supportive. And that was my lifeline, especially when I was pregnant. And yeah, I just feel so stupid for being so worried about all the things when I was pregnant. <laughs> like I could have just relaxed and just tackled things as they came. <laughs> Right. I know Google can be so problematic for so many reasons in terms of uh, like yeah. when 
you're in, especially when you're concerned about something, you know, I, whether it's, oh, you think you have cancer or you think you, you know, right. anything. You're dying. Just, definitely dying. You're, dying. you're definitely dying. And then, <laughs> you know, there was one time I was, I was having these headaches and, you know, I was trying to figure it out. And I literally think it was, I had so convinced myself that something was wrong that then I was like, the panic around that was then causing more headache. Like it really yeah. wasn't, it was, and I don't know if it was a panic attack. I don't know. But I went through this period where I was convinced that I had a brain tumor. And do not Google. Do not Google. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, no. Such a good, such good advice. So now the other thing I'd love to move into is what is some advice that you give moms as someone who I think whether people mean to or not, I noticed that when you have a big family, people are very enthralled, very curious. They're like, how do you, I just don't know how you do it all. And you know, you must be super mom. And I always am trying to dispel, like I am far from perfect. And yes, I have, mm -hmm. you know, five children with six on the way. But uh, in fact, I am very in tune with how imperfect I am because of the fact I have a big family, you know? So yeah. what, what advice do you think you like to share with moms that say, oh, you know, I only have one and I'm struggling. I only have two. I'm struggling. I just don't know how you do it. What are some tips that you like to share with them? It gets so much easier the more that you have. So like whatever peak stress level you're at now, it's not going to, it's not going to go higher than that if you already have kids, because the more kids you have, the more you get in a groove, the better you get at it. Because it's like anything, you know, the more you do something, the more experience you get doing something, the easier it, it comes for you. And so, so yeah, one is like peak stress level and two is pretty high too because you start juggling and you just had two. But yeah, after that, it's just, I mean, my sixth baby was just... It's like a breeze and I could just like sit back and enjoy it, you know, and just drink it in and be like, I just love this. This is great. This newborn phase is so cute, you know, and breastfeeding's easy by that point. You know, it's just, it's so different. Isn't that bizarre? Like, I think that is so funny because what we assume is, is it's only going to magnify from that peak, right? That that peak is like, mm -hmm. that peak is, no, it's only going to, so with every baby I have, it's just going to get harder and harder. And right. I have to tell moms all the time, I'm like, seriously, my hardest time as a mother, it was my one and two. And oh yeah, for sure. Hands down. Three was three was not my hardest. Now I know every once in a while there's an anomaly here. Like, oh, well, my mm -hmm. third was really hard because he was super stubborn or he was a colicky mm -hmm. baby or she mm -hmm. was this. Yeah. But in general, most big family moms I talk to, they all think that one and two is the hardest. For sure. No one says whatever number after that. I mean, my number five was a kick in the face because of the Down syndrome and the heart defect and everything. But that exactly. was the only thing that was new about it. So that was the only thing that was hard about it. Everything else was fine. Yeah. And I always tell people, yes, there's more laundry. Yes, there's more dishes. Yes, it's more food. Mm -hmm. But so many other things are, you've created efficiencies. And like you said, you've learned so much and mm -hmm. you've let go of a lot too. You know, you've mm -hmm. kind of realized, I, I love, I really relate to you on this. I think one time you mentioned that 
you naturally, I don't know if you called yourself that you were naturally relaxed, but you're not like overly a much of perfectionist when it comes to everything. Oh, no, I'm not type A at all. I'm, not, I'm very fl- phlegmatic and like very easygoing. Almost, if you ask my husband, almost too much so. <laughs> But I love that because actually it makes me feel really good that there's someone else like that because yeah. that's kind of me. I know. And, um, but I <laughs> so and it's rare with women. Like usually the woman is the type A one and the man is the more relaxed one. But with our marriage, it's the opposite. My husband is very like type A and I'm a perfectionist and like very regimented. And I'm the one that's like, oh, whatever. <laughs> the children will eat something. This is so, this is, this could not be more Spencer and I. This is completely us. And I do think that that has probably allowed for more peace in my parenting journey because I I can let a lot more go than I think some people can. They just weren't built like that. Yeah. And we compliment each other well. Like because of him, I actually have a tidy house <laughs> and disciplined <It's> children. <laughs> And because of me, we don't have to freak out about everything. (laughs) You know, that's such a beautiful reflection because I look at Spencer and I, and he actually does the majority of the cooking. Like he's a fabulous cook. And I really like good food, but probably if the cooking was all up to me all the time, we would not eat very well. Like we would eat a lot. <laughs> you know, it would be and we'd go to sleep with dirty dishes at the sink probably a lot more. Cause I'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, it's fine. They can wait. My husband's yeah. like, oh no, we're gonna do them now. <laughs> so as you can tell, Sylvia and I had a wonderful and fun time recording this episode. And I hope what you are left with today is that being bold is really reminding ourselves that our fears are not often telling us the truth and that often we want to avoid the hard. And what I think is ever so evident in Sylvia's story is that when we can try to quiet those fears and accept what the world is telling us is hard, then we reap the benefits of the beauty and the joy that comes with that. And that truly, the best things in life are hard won. And I'm sure you can all relate, and I can too, of times that we've listened to those fears or we've avoided the hard. And I look back and those are some of my biggest regrets in life. However, today and through this podcast, I hope each episode you're reminded that we can do hard things. And when we do hard things, we reap the beauty and the joy that comes with it. So to close today, Sylvia has some ending words of encouragement for a parent or a family member who recently received the news that their child has Down syndrome. That your life is going to be so drastically different and so drastically changed and everything's going to revolve around Down syndrome now. And and that's also not true at all. We just have been living, I mean, obviously, once we got the heart defect and caring for that behind us, but I mean, any child can have medical needs, any parent can have medical needs. We pretty much have been doing, you know, we go on vacation, you know, we do school, we 
play out, they all play outside, they fight with each other, you know, our, our world does not revolve around Down syndrome at all. In fact, sometimes I'm like, oh, I tell someone in the park, oh, well, Regina has Down syndrome, like it's going to be news to them, because it's usually news to me. And they're like, yes, we know. I'm like, oh, right, right. Okay, well, I, I forget it sometimes. So maybe you should remind me. <laughs> If you were recently diagnosed with a prenatally or even birth diagnosis of a child with Down syndrome, don't be afraid to reach out to me on Instagram or wherever, and I will be happy to answer any questions you may have, soothe your fears, whatever you need. Just like feel free to reach out. So mostly, um, you can find me on Instagram, Silbass, S-Y-L-B-A-S-S. That's my handle, and you can just DM me on there, and I will answer. I usually, I always make sure to answer all my DMs. But yeah, I don't want anybody to feel alone in this. I don't want anybody to feel trapped. I just want to be able to reassure people that you can live a perfectly happy and normal life with a child with Down syndrome. Yes, and if you follow... Uh, Sylvia, you'll see just the joy and the beauty in their journey. So I highly recommend you connecting with her. And thank you for your time today. And I wish you and your family a wonderful weekend, Sylvia. Thank you too. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening today. For more information, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and my new website, BetLucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. The world needs you.